Welcome to the Heart-Centered Therapist Podcast, the podcast created for you, the therapist who leads with your heart and loves serving your clients. I'm Cindy Gozanski, your host. I know that being a heart-centered therapist is immensely rewarding and powerful and intensely challenging and difficult. We're on this journey together. My mission is to help you continue loving your work as a therapist, surviving being a therapist, and feeling more connected as a therapist. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Heart-Centered Therapist Podcast. I'm Cindy Gozanski, your host, and I'm so happy to be here again with you. Today, I'm really excited, as I always am, but especially today for my guest, I'd like to introduce you to Veronica Castro-Albano. Veronica is a peer recovery specialist, a certified life coach, and author of three books, including Life is Worth Getting Better and Honoring Your Recovery. She is someone who believes that it's possible to overcome what holds you back and to shift from fear to faith and possibility. She draws on her own experience of recovering from mental illness after struggling for over 11 years. Veronica is originally from Buenos Aires, Argentina, and has lived in America for 23 years, as well as in England. She and her husband have two sons, ages 21 and 23, and then their chocolate lab baby. And this is what Veronica says and why I'm so excited to have her as a guest today. Veronica says... After recovering from depression and anxiety, I knew I was made for more. I knew my life wasn't over, so I got well and realized the darkest times in my life brought light to others. The hardest lessons became my strength, and my mess became my message. So nothing is ever wasted if we can open our heart and see the good. Wow. Veronica, thank you for sharing these words with us, and I... I'm so excited to meet you today. Hello and welcome. Hello, Cindy. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm honored to be here. And thank you for your words. I mean, it's some things that I believe and I wanted to share with your audience today. Oh, pleasure. Absolutely. And I just have to say it resonates so much when you said, my mess became my message. Like You should really (laughs) trademark that. It's so powerful. Thank you. We're going to hear about your journey and how it's influenced your personal and professional life. But to start, I love to ask my guests, what does being heart-centered mean to you? To me, it's about being compassionate with people, about being kind, about giving people second chances. We never really know what's behind your story, what they're fighting that we don't know about. It's also showing up with authenticity. I feel like the more comfortable I get with myself, other people could be more comfortable with myself. And I feel like showing up in a way that's real, people can relate. And when we put on this mask, I don't think it it does anything really, especially for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I love to think that we experience a mind, body, spirit experience and not just the body or not just because being aware of that, it's like a combo, right? We all carry the three of them. So. Yes. Yes. And I really love that part also about giving second chances because 
we never know what somebody else is experiencing. And most of us are really grateful when we've had that gift of a second chance. Absolutely. Mm, Yeah. And before we got on, we talked about being real, like how important it is. We just want to have a conversation today, share a little with each other and with my listeners, because that's, that's what it's about. That's how we learn when I think we are real and authentic. Absolutely. I feel like life is almost like a a learning continuous experience where we can always learn from things if we look carefully and can pay attention. Yeah. I feel like it's part of living with that awareness, you know, feeling, oh, I failed at this. Okay. Did I really fail? What can I learn from this? And just continuing our journey, we get back up and we continue our walk. Mm. For me, having depression and the anxiety was getting back up. It was difficult. That was your walk for the longest time. Yeah. But I'm so glad I had that experience because now I can relate to people that are going through that. Before, I would have had all kinds of judgment to people that, you know, I would have thought, well, you know, Try to do better, right? What do we say? Right. Things like that. Right. Exactly. Right? And... Just get out of bed or go do that. Thing. It's not so hard, right? Exactly. Try yoga, whatever. Yes. And then when it's, of course, when we experience it, it's like, oh, it wasn't that easy, was it? So yeah. again, it gives you that awareness of you start to understand people and how they do things for a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And you know, it really is so common to have the experience of a mental health problem, whether it's depression, anxiety, you know, OCD, the attention deficit, there are so many different mental health issues that impact so many of us. And that's one of the reasons why I really love when a guest is willing to come on and share about their journey and be so open and vulnerable about it, because this is what we can do to advocate for mental health awareness and to reduce the stigma. And even among my listeners who are therapists, right? Like sometimes we may not want to raise our hands and say, yeah, oh, that's Mm -hmm. me too. I have anxiety. That's me too. I've had panic attacks. And so it's really helpful. We can't talk about this too much. And so, yeah, Veronica, maybe you can tell us a little about what this walk has been like for you with your- experience. Yeah. Well, we had lived in New York City in the year 2000. And then my husband got transferred to New Jersey with his job. And we moved 10 days before 9-11 in uh, 2001. I was pregnant with my second son. So that was already a shock. But I was so excited for my husband's new job. And we had bought a little house. And I was, I mean, for us coming from Argentina to live in America is like anybody's dream. So I was Mm. so excited. And I had some changes to do. I had to find a doctor. I had to, you know, have my baby. I had, everything was new for me, but I was so excited. And after, and we had a two-year-old, almost two at that time. And after my second son was born, I don't know. I was so excited to have this baby and life, our life was so beautiful. And I started feeling really tired and I would cry a lot. And I thought, well, Maybe it's my hormones. Maybe, you know, I haven't slept three hours straight in how many days. And this is maybe how it is having two babies. It's exhausting. And you're lucky if you can shave the second leg in the shower because you're always right on the go. So 
I didn't. If you even get a shower. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. Or if you can even get out of your PJs. So I, it was January too. It was the winter, a lot of snow. And I didn't know anybody that I didn't have the experience of knowing anybody that had gone through this. In Argentina, 21 years old, you know, 21 years back, you didn't, I don't know, you didn't go to the doctor because you were crying. Mm. And I, culturally, I had heard that doctors were really busy in America. So I didn't think that there was anything wrong with me. And if I did go to the doctor, either way, what was I going to show him? What was I going to say that I'd been crying in the closet, really? And so I felt very embarrassed. But as the months started to go by, I was barely unrecognizable. I I didn't know what was wrong with me. I loved my son dearly, both of them, but I realized I was less patient and I would get upset really easily with my husband, whom I adore. So I was like, what is wrong with me? And I thought, well, maybe I need to go shopping. Maybe I'm just exhausted of the kids. What do we try? Right. All these things. And my husband was so kind. He used to say, well, I'll stay with the kids. He knows I love New York City. Go to New York City with your friend for the day or whatever. But nothing was working. And anyways, fast forward a year goes by and I'm still feeling really bad. So I go And there's also this this shame too. Yes. Why why am I even feeling this? And you don't have a precedent for it and you don't have that that belief that anybody's even gonna take you seriously. Exactly. And the guilt that I'm not a good mom. That I this didn't happen with my first son. What is wrong with me? Like seriously. And everybody was so happy for us, you know, moving to America, the new job, the new baby, everything was so beautiful. So I was like, why am I not able to enjoy this? So after I went to the doctor, we, I went to my family doctor because I didn't even realize that I could go to the therapist. Mm. I didn't know a lot of mental health, to be honest. I'm sorry, my ignorance, but I didn't, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And this is so important though, Veronica, because it's like, you are explaining that sometimes what we take for granted, other people don't know. Other educated people who are experiencing life don't know what options are there. And some of this was cultural for you, but it's really, really important. Exactly. And also even, I mean, not that I didn't know what therapists were, but I didn't realize that I had gotten to that point. And so having a conversation with him, I'm emotional because I feel so embarrassed. And he said, you must have had postpartum, but because, you know, it took a year for you to come to see me. Now it's developed into clinical depression and mm. you also have anxiety. So for me telling me that I, after he was, he kept talking, but my brain stopped at you have depression and anxiety. And I was like, what does that mean? What do I have to do? What what's, and he said, I'm going to give you some medication and and you're going to, you know, try it out and see how it goes. And and I did feel better a little bit. It took a couple of tries because the first one made me really tired. But, you know, but I kept feeling so guilty. I have to take this to be a good mom. What's wrong with me? And just that imposter syndrome, you know, that what, what, what am I supposed to do? So I did that for a long time. I realized the physical part was kind of taken care of. But as I said, we are a combo. We are also spirit and emotions. And so yes. my mind, you know, with the chemicals was getting to be a balance. But I realized that I guess we all 
carry our past. I wasn't addressing that part. So we had that we moved to England the first time. The boys were three and five. And it was difficult because it rains a lot there. They couldn't match my medication. The medical system in England, good luck with that. It's really different. They use the ICD. And here in America, they use the DSM-5. So I know they are both from, you know, the World Health Organization, but it's really different. And so doc the first doctor I went to said, oh, you're stressed about the move. You should go home and have some tea. I'm like, did wow. a professional really tell me that I had to go home and have a cuppa? Really? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I was in shock. So it's very complicated to get a specialist there. Anyways, you end up always going to the GP, mm -hmm. the general practitioner. So it was difficult living there. When we got to two years and a half later, we got to go back to New Jersey. I was so excited. But of course, this was underlining all the time. I kept taking the medication, but I knew some things were not right. And even right. coming back, it wasn't going to solve everything. And the second time, five years later, we, my husband gets his dream job. And guess where it is? So we go back to England. That's I know it's going to be difficult. Yeah. Boys are 10 and 12. I do not want to go. Cindy, I'm just telling mm -hmm. you, I thought this is going to be very difficult. I was working. The boys were super happy. They had sports teams. They had, we had made a life there now. Yeah. And now we have to move again. And I, I love my husband. I didn't have the heart to tell him I don't want to move. Mm -hmm. And we do, we move. And right. I, again, they can't match my medication. I have to start in a new one. Just moving is really stressful, let alone the rain and just the new exactly. environment. And so, so much I explained that in the life. book and how difficult it was for us to settle in. And I see myself spiraling. We moved in March and by October, I'm just a mess. The first chapter is we're done talking because my husband's like, I have heard you for the millionth time. Tell me all about what you're feeling. And I love you to death. And we have talked about this, but at this point, I think you really need a team of doctors because I cannot help you professionally and and please don't think he's coming off like a really bad guy if he had tried everything everything right. we even came to america in the summer i mean we did everything but yeah. well and veronica finds i think you know we understand that it's important to say that too like your husband could only do so much and this yes. impacts when somebody has a mental health issue right it impacts our families it impacts yes. our partners our kids the whole thing and absolutely even changing environments is hard. And yes. so to not have the supports in place, right? Like yes. the medication is one piece, but you are also missing this alignment of your emotions and your spirituality, like the whole mind, body, spirit, and yes. you are aware enough to realize that, which mm -hmm. is huge. And I was also working as a professional organizer for spaces. So I loved my job and I had all these clients and now it's like, I'm sitting here and it's raining and I have nothing to do. And the boys are not happy at school. The only one that's happy is my husband at work, but he's not happy when he gets home because everything's like, yeah. so anyways, I start thinking that maybe he is right. And that, so he finds me a treatment Mm -hmm. Um, I'm shocked to know that I'm going to have to go every day from nine to three. Oh, and I'm glad nobody told me that it was going to take a year and a half because I wouldn't not even started. And I did, I did wow. that. So I did not want to do it. 
Yeah. An intensive outpatient treatment yes. program. Yes. What we call an IOP here in the States. Yes. Wow. So, but you know, I had that conversation with the boys. I told them, you know, mommy's not feeling well. Uh, while you go to school, I'm going to go to a treatment and I'm going to feel better. And I'm going to do this so that I can feel better and be there for you and for daddy. And, you know, and it was very vulnerable, but I feel like our kids are so smart. I mean, they figure out the PlayStation when they're three, right? Right. I'm, I was sure that I could explain it in a way that they knew at least what was going on because they already knew they could see it. I feel like our one person is sick, but everybody else suffers. And the worst part, they don't even get medication. So right. it's very difficult for yeah. them. But your sons saw that you were struggling and yes. they miss their mom. And so I love exactly. that you were able to have that honest conversation with them. And that really yes. says a lot for our listeners, for my listeners to think, what could you tell your client who's going through the exact same thing that Veronica went through, right? Yes. How do you tell your kids? Like this, this is a real life example, which is so yeah. helpful. Thank I really you. thank you for sharing it with us. Of course. And, yeah. and, you know, maybe therapists, I, I'm sure they realize this, but every patient that they have is a family in reality, a group, a tribe. We 100%. don't do life alone. 100%. So every time they're addressing them, they're really addressing the whole group because whatever they're saying, it's going to translate into that person's life. Or at least that's how I experienced it. Yeah. So the right. treatment, I was scared to death to go, to be honest. The first day, my hands are shaking. The anxiety is just about to kill me. And I'm afraid to go inside because I'd never been in a hospital like that. And of course, in my mind, I have these images Right. And of course, I walk in and I don't like to say this, but everybody looks so normal. And then I thought, <laughs> what were you thinking? What were you expecting? Right. And so but then I realized listening to their stories that Cindy, normal is just a drier setting because we carry these stories that are so painful. The thing is that we put makeup on and our hair looks pretty and we have pretty clothes that are actually matching. And, you know, you walk by people like that. They drive past you. We stand in line with people like this and we have no idea what goes on because there's no physical evidence. I mean, if you had a broken leg, right? You would, right? Exactly, exactly. And when our mind is, is broken, it's yeah. just difficult. Yeah. So the treatment helped me. We did a lot of things, individual therapy, group therapy, mm -hmm. CBT, you know, CBT. We did things like drama therapy. We did stress and anxiety classes to be able to learn coping skills. We did things like self-awareness, mindfulness. That's, so I had my journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had my journey in different stages. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like, Oh, I started my journey and I went straight up. Never. I mean, right. it's not linear. Of course it's we not. know that. Right. Some days I thought this is like uncovering all of this stuff and where do I start? And you know how I took it, Cindy? I took it like when I organized, like in my job. Yeah. I used to think I would walk in a room and everything, of course, is a zoo. That's why I got hired. And but then I thought- should come to my office. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, and I think, well, okay. We would work with the customer and say, okay, what stays, what goes, and what needs improvement? And mm -hmm. some things are good. It's not that everything is bad. 
So trying to work through that, it was really a good thing. But I have to tell you, to me, the therapist, the psychiatrist, the assistant, the nurses, anybody that was half associated to mental health, peer recovery, special respect. I mean, they were amazing. I feel like the amount of pain that they have to listen to in a day, how do they even do that? Like, it's amazing. It's like a huge shadow. I used to think these people are so positive and they're around us all day. How do they even do that? Right. I mean, the amount of the love of service that you have to feel to even do this. So I was, I really want to thank you because I know some days have to be so difficult. Oh, thank you for acknowledging that. Yeah, of course. And it's, it is beautiful that you see it as a love of service. And that's one of my missions that we are serving from the heart and we feel called to do this. And so, you know, when some, somebody like you can take that huge risk and leave your boys at home and go walk into that sterile hospital and then give it your best and make changes. That's what lights us up. That When you said a few minutes ago, and I hope that everyone heard that, normal is just a drier setting. I mean, <laughs> Veronica, you've got these like beautiful little like oh. word pieces that are so special and so true Thank because, you. right, everybody looks normal, but what is it? And does it even matter? It doesn't. It doesn't matter. What matters is is how we go through life and how we can be aware of ourselves and what we give and do and how we are, right? How we can learn to love ourselves and to love others. Leading with love is so important. It really is. And I love that my therapist, she was so cool. She, I love the accountability. I promised myself that I was going to take it seriously. And I was going to do what she said, because Mm -hmm. if not, I wasn't going to only let her down. Most importantly, I was going to let myself down. And so she would give me like little, I used to feel like they were like homework assignments, but then I realized that they were success work. It was things so that I would be better. And so, so, yeah. yeah, yeah, I felt like for myself, I think my main problem was my self-esteem. For me, my self-worth came from doing things, you know, I barely thought that I deserved my husband. I realized Mm -hmm. that I thought, well, I think I'm making a better deal than he is by me. You know, I, I had this bad self-esteem and really, I always used to demonstrate it in a pattern that I always felt inferior than when I really should have been and not in a proudful way, but I feel like. I had a lot of layers to climb, you know, so that was, and she would give me these assignments and she would believe in me more than I believed in myself. Mm. And I feel like the accountability, the encouragement, the patience, some days I must've sounded awful. And I know people see me or hear me that I'm happy and that I have this joy, but it wasn't always like that, obviously going through a situation like that. It had been many, many years and The biggest takeout was for me that in the place that I least wanted to live where I was, where I found my life because of this treatment Mm. and that changed my life forever for me. As hard as it was, I decided that I was going to do that treatment if it was the last thing I did because the other alternative hadn't worked at all, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing 
those That's stories cool. with us. It helps our listeners see sometimes what we think we're doing with our clients. It seems silly or like, how could this possibly help them? And yet there were other things that helped you feel like you mattered because you knew also your therapist was rooting for you. I love that reframe. Yeah. And also so how sometimes you go to the doctor and the first thing they do is give you medication. And I get that because I feel like until you don't feel better physically, you can't even address the emotional part. Mm -hmm. But I wish they understood how important therapy is also part of the journey because the questions that my therapist presented to me were very challenging, but they also made me think about how I was doing life. And mm -hmm. so it was genius. I mean, I still, it's like almost 10 years that I finished my treatment in 2014, the, the formal treatment, of course, right. I still, but I'm still talking about her because she had such an impact on me. So I hope yeah. all the therapists listening, maybe even the psychiatrists, they know that the ripple effect that they have on a life, you might not even understand the huge impact that they, that has on other people's lives. Absolutely. Thank you for saying that. And sometimes we don't really get that feedback or we don't know, or we're not sure, are we even like having an impact? And yet you're going to, you're going to share, like you've written books about your journey. You translated one of your books into Spanish where we were also going to talk about how your cultural background influenced you know, you alluded to it, like maybe getting mental health treatment wasn't such a norm in Argentina. And so, exactly. you know, I think it's changed now, obviously, 21 years later. Yeah, obviously, there's more awareness. But back, at least I didn't know anybody that had done mm -hmm. it. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah, but I feel like one of my turning points was, I'm not against social media, to be honest, but whoever has 1,500 friends probably doesn't because friends are those people that can call you and just hear you breathing because you're in so much pain that you can't even say anything. The words don't make it justice. And they just call you just to check in to see how you are. And they tell you about themselves and they ask you about yourself and you're trying to have a conversation, which you can't. And I had a, I had three friends, have three, had one in Argentina, one in England, and one in America. Uh, and they stayed in touch with me. And my support system was them and my husband, the boys, my mom's prayers. Oh boy, where would I be, you know, without uh, her prayers? And just so many people that were supporting me. And one of the friends, my friend that I had in England, one day I was about 10 months into the, and I had kind of gone down a little bit because I'd hit a point where I wasn't willing to go to a place where it was very painful for me. Um, yeah. So I was kind of like in a plateau. Actually, I had gone down. So mm. I, and she I didn't even know this, but a friend, another lady said that she was fighting brain cancer. Oh my gosh. And oh. she was in a way, the one that was dying, mm -hmm. but she had so much life in her and I was the one that was living. And yet I felt like I was dead inside. And I remember she sat me in her kitchen and she said, Veronica, you're amazing. Your life has worth and value. And you're going to get through this. And one day you're going to inspire people. 
And I'm looking, I actually turned around because I'm like, she's not talking to me. I mean, somebody else called Veronica, walked in here and she's talking yeah. to her because I was a mess. And she said, you are, you have no idea how your life is going to impact others and how you're going to become whole and happy and hopeful and just you're not going to recognize this part of your life. Mm. And I thought, okay, uh, yeah, she's just saying this. I mean, what else are you going to say when you're in that state? Right. right. And I said, thank you. But I went home and I realized that she planted a seed in me. She spoke life into me. And I feel like that was my turning point because I said, if uh -huh. she is so sick and she's giving me life, I have to honor that part. So I started practicing my coping skills. Mm. I mean, when I wrote my book, the first one is more about my journey and how my faith helped me do that. And of course, medication and treatment and going to the hospital, believing in myself, you know, healing myself as team, things like going for a walk in the rain with the dogs, because just the fresh air, you know, I think it right. feels um, good. And just breathing exercises, things that I practice, I did not want to do it. Of course I didn't, but I did it anyway, because I was committed to the treatment. I made a promise to myself that I was going to get better. Yeah. We yeah. were so quick to keep our promises to others. And sometimes we promise ourselves something and we, we kind of have try and with the God and I knew it wasn't going to work. And we give up so easily. And I thought, no, I promised Susie that I was going to um, get better. My second book, when I was at Barnes and Nobles, one lady asked me, do you have your book in Spanish? I was doing a book signing and oh, cool! I was so embarrassed that to say, no, I'm so sorry. I remember saying it's not available yet. And of course, I, I just said that, but it was it wasn't even on the radar. And then I thought the courage that this woman would have had to have to even ask me that because the Latino culture, and again, it's getting better, but mm -hmm. we don't talk about those things. Yeah. And maybe she had somebody in your family. Maybe she had a friend, maybe it was herself. Right. And the amount of courage that she would have had to have to say that in Virginia, that was, so I thought, I think I really have to honor this lady. And then I thought, well, I'm going to translate it as a tribute to the Latin American country in countries. And I, I felt that just, it was so cathartic to even write it in Spanish because oh, it felt like oh. I was back in Argentina. What a labor of love. That's so beautiful. Thank so you. powerful. Yeah. And of course people, my readers were like, so what happened to you? What happened to the boys, to your family? You know, cause it's like almost like I'm telling my story and mm -hmm. I'm thinking in my head, I felt gratitude about that they were really that interested in my story. But then I'm thinking, okay, it's not a Netflix series. <laughs> it's not like I can put my family through more exposure still. So I thought, right. you know, I'll share with them my coping skills because that's for anybody at any time, you know, practical things. And so, oh, so my second book second is that. Book. That's coping honoring skills. your recovery. Yeah. And the title. Yeah. The honoring first title, your recovery. I love that. What is that recovery? to you? To me, I, mm, my life wasn't perfect. My re recovery is a journey. It's not like, oh, I finished the hospital. I think I did this, you know, congratulations. Here's your certificate. It doesn't work like that. You keep practicing what you learn because it's like everything else. If not, you regress. And I realized 
that I wasn't where I wanted to be, could have been, should have been, whatever of those we use to put more expectations on our life. But I thought, yeah, no, I might not be where I want to be, but I'm here. I'm breathing. I'm here today. And looking back to where I started, it was still a long walk. So I said, well, even if it's not perfect, I'm doing it. So just honoring that part. And, and I got to tell you, okay, we came back to America. I was happier. The weather was better. It, there's a <laughs> sun every day. It's a sunny day every day here. So it's perfect. But you in the so middle- You have so much gratitude. You have so much gratitude, Veronica. Yeah. That's a big part of you. Your energy, it just comes through. And you you said earlier, I wasn't always this happy, but your happy energetic vibe is so strong and so beautiful and you're welcome. And it is true. And it's important to say that you weren't always like this, right? That we can be both and that healing is possible. You got that beautiful encouragement from your friend in England. It almost sounded like she was, you said, breathing life into you, giving you this blessing for you to go forward. And so, so powerful that now I meet you Thanks to social media, by the way. Yes, actually. You mentioned we're not necessarily huge fans of social media, but Veronica and I met in a course creation Facebook group. And so it's amazing that we met and talked about mental health and recovery. And here we are. And so when social media is about connection, it can Mm -hmm. be really magical. And I'm grateful for that. Absolutely. But you have really shown that there are these turning points and all parts of us are okay. And then you are living from that place of gratitude and happiness and integrity. Be accountable to yourself and you don't have to be perfect. That's so great. And we need to hear that. Like these messages are gems that you're giving. And so I just wanted to go back and highlight some of these beautiful gems. (laughs) Oh, thank you. And I feel like the coping skills, they're not magical. They're, it's not something from Mars. It's things we do every day, you know, things like self-care, continuing to learn new strategies. Sometimes we're so committed to a strategy that works only two times out of 10 because it almost works. But what if we could learn something that moves the needle that actually makes a difference? Getting out of our comfort zone, learning new things, um, resting for me that's a big one. I have a hard time, you know, going to sleep and I want to wake up early and go to bed late. Right. So it's just, I'm so excited. I want to do all these things. Um, but just having coping skills also like honoring and the people that helped you before and, and that left an impact that they helped you so much. I, in the middle of writing the book, I lost my second sister to breast cancer. Oh my gosh. I'm um, so sorry. Wow. It's okay. She, mm. I miss her a lot. We were not only sisters, we were friends. And mm. so it's not like, oh, my life, I was recovered and my life is pie in the sky. You know, she you actually passed on my birthday. And so oh. that's when we have a choice. Am I going to be sad every birthday or can I celebrate her life and my life? You know, can I, can I do something she would have loved? Can I remember her in a good way she wouldn't want me to you know stop everything and I'm not underestimating grief of course everybody does it in the best way they know how but I feel like just having that good gratitude of her life and celebrating her life instead of thinking about what you do have instead of what you don't and that's been 
And I thought, what I'm writing about honoring my recovery and this happens. I'm like, oh, great. Then I thought, this is what honoring your recovery is. I I made a promise to myself. I wasn't going to go all the way down from where I started Mm. because she wouldn't want that for me. That's right. This was part of that mess, the messiness of life. Yes. And and utter grief descended upon you. And you found a way to also show people how you were walking through that period of your life. Exactly. How you continue to do that, that now your birthday is marked by this and it's hard, but you're also able to remember your sister too. Exactly. And also just opportunities to use my lived experience because mental health has a way of leveling us like nothing else will. I know there's a lot of division, but if one thing unites people is mental health because it doesn't discriminate what color your skin is, what your credit score is, what, you know, your background, your country, nothing. It can happen to anybody. And I feel like our stories are really different, but a lot of the times our thinking patterns are very similar. The symptoms, the ways we feel, the low self-esteem, the hopelessness, helplessness. And if I can be a light to somebody, because see, the thing is a lot of people are my older version. They are where I was before. That's so true. And so often the therapist will find out that like our ideal clients are earlier versions of ourselves. Absolutely. When I wrote the books, before I wrote the books, I was volunteering at a hospital here in St. Mary's. And I feel like one of the coping skills I did was also serving others. Mm, Beautiful. Um, Yes. I feel like getting outside, outside of ourselves. And the hospital, I mean, just visiting the children's cancer wing. I mean, that will give you a reality check like nothing else will, because I, I would see those families every day and that every day was like their birthday because they got to spend another day with their child. Wow. And I, I'm not in any way discrediting the pain that we feel because it's real, but sometimes getting outside of ourselves and even having this empathy for other people that are going through things that are they're different and they're very painful as well. And even having the privilege to just stay with them, visit with them. Exactly. So volunteering. And then I volunteered also for NAMI. It's a national alliance for mental illness. And that was a really amazing journey for me, just giving back. The first thing I did was in our own voice, which is telling your story, you frame your story in a way that you can visit the behavioral wing in the hospitals and share your story. That Basically, takes so it was... much courage, so much <laughs> courage that you did that. And you volunteered for NAMI for two and a half years. Yeah. And, and that's, that's such a gift that you offered mm-hmm. that, that heart. I service. love what NAMI does. They're amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of their programs are free. They have programs for families. They have different activities. They have walks to for awareness. They have things for people that are trying to get better coping skills. Peer-to-peer recovery is that. It's just helping them. We're not better. We're just maybe a few steps ahead of them. We totally understand what they're going through. So exactly. the peer uh, support I, movement is huge. Exactly. It's really important. Peer recovery specialist, which you are, and the psychosocial recovery peer model is is really important. And I don't think enough of us are aware of it sometimes. And it's, Mm -hmm. it certainly can be even more 
used in other in in states like do they have that in maine state. yes we have it in maine oh, um okay. but it's probably about oh i don't want to speak incorrectly but it, it's it's maybe it's 15 years okay may, maybe less um okay. it's it's relatively new okay. uh, but we do have like peer support specialists yeah. that are in the communities doing outreach mm -hmm. that are at the hospitals for acute psychiatry yes. admissions and emergency departments. And they, really yeah, they important. train those first responders to not to arrest somebody that's having a panic attack because of course they haven't done anything wrong. It's just so that they're more aware of the processes. They also have a hotline. Anyways, I also became a peer recovery specialist. Then of course the pandemic hit and you know, that was different, but I realized that that's why I say you, I have so much respect for what you guys do mm -hmm. because after my sister passed in 2019 and the pandemic and everything, oh. it was very difficult for me to be so exposed to stories that were so debilitating for me. And I feel, I felt a little bit that for the people that wanted to get better, it was like a pleasure to work with. But some people, unfortunately, are in a space where they almost don't want to get better. Not, not conscientiously, but I feel like they're in a space where that's where they live. This is what happened to me. And this person is to blame. And this is what I, this is the only thing I can do with my life. Mm -hmm. And when I learned about life coaching, I felt, well, I became a recovery coach, but I felt that. For some people, it was easier to look ahead into the future mm -hmm. and not every, you know, just because you had some bad chapters doesn't mean your life has to end like that. Right. Um, and we so still have the pen in our hand. We yeah. can write new chapters of yeah. wellness, of hope, of love, of being an impact to others. Mm -hmm. And Veronica, this is what you bring now to your own clients, mostly yes. women clients as a certified life coach. You got your certification, yes. I think 2020, maybe. I um, got it. Yeah. 2021. Uh-huh. I had to go to Argentina for six weeks. My mom was really sick. So yes, I've had a lot of loss and I honestly, the best way I know how to describe that is that I have a very high respect for life and the time yeah. we still have. Mm -hmm. And I realized I wasted a lot of years being sad, but it's like Dr. Maya Angelou says, you do the best you can with what you know. And when you know better, do better. And do sometimes better. we don't know what we don't know, right? I wish I would have known at yeah. 30 what I know now at 52, but I didn't. Yeah. So that's why I'm on this journey for personal development and, it's and wonderful. learning. That's wonderful. And you're sharing it with others so vulnerably and generously. And there's so much. One thing you said that I just, I want to quote was um, making a positive impact in other people's life yes. is a legacy that will outlive ours. And this yes. is really such a tenet, a principle of how you live because of mm -hmm. always giving to others as a friend, a recovery specialist, a coach, and just the way you live life and coming even on this podcast is a way of making a positive impact and hopefully normalizing mental health for other people yeah. and that we can see that there's still hope and encouragement. Yes. Yeah. And also as a coach, I work with women that maybe are empty nesters or have lost their spouse for or a significant other. And I feel like 
how do you do they redefine themselves? How do they what are they supposed to do? And just for them to be able to find the talent, find their dream. Sometimes we put it up on the shelf and we don't even realize that we can still do it. Right. Yeah. Some people are like, I'm too old or I've had too many things happen to me or my life is ruined or I don't have this or and then I think, well, if you're too old, that's good because nobody wants to work with a rookie, right? Or if you, <laughs> I love yeah, it. but seriously, the experience that you have yeah. will inspire somebody in ways that when you're 20, I mean, I'm not against young people, but what I'm saying is you learn so much over all these years, right? It's like yeah. respect. Exactly. So, and we have to respect even our past or even the things that brought us down, whether it was living with depression and you can't erase that. And so instead no. you're embracing it and moving forward and seeing it as a gift that ins- it allows you to do this yes. work and help other women. And, and I love those things like... Uh, really it's personal development work. And we as therapists do this too, but you get to do it with so much gusto, right? Because (laughs) you're like meeting people who want to move forward and you don't, you're not necessarily dealing as a coach with all of the depth of the emotions that would go to the therapist. And so you get to work on that, that growing edge, which is very exciting. I don't know. I I feel like I don't work a day in my life because I love what I do. And it just feels empowering to, for other people to find themselves to Mm -hmm. say, wow, I can actually do this. Mm -hmm. And then for them to have so much meaning in their life, because how many bags can you buy? How many shoes can you buy? Sometimes we're so stuck, so bored, and we're scrolling and looking at everybody's life and thinking, wow, is this it for me? Yeah. Yeah. And so that's a great place for us to like hone in on when, when somebody is at that stage, is this it, you know, and it's so too much with the consumerism and everything. What do you recommend? Because it seems like we need to turn inward. Then we need to look at ourselves, maybe a faith base. If we have that, a deeper kind of inner reflection. What, what do you think? Well, people are at different stages. If you tell somebody that has really, really low self-esteem and doesn't believe in themselves, you can't just tell, oh, you have a purpose and you could be doing this. I mean, they're right. not even, they're not even believing in themselves, let alone that they can actually do something, you know, be part of something bigger than themselves. So I feel like you don't take a kindergartner and sit him in front of an SAT exam, right? So you you meet them where they are and you walk alongside of them. If it's lack of self-confidence, if they've been through trauma. And I always tell them, I am not a therapist. So I can only work if you feel that you've in a way made peace with your past and you want to move forwards because I would doing I would be doing you a huge disservice if if you try to do that with me because you know I'm not right. Right. I mean you don't well, go to a dentist if you need a foot doctor, right? And that's why you're a certified life coach and there yes. should be more coaches out there like you who can differentiate that. Yeah. Um, it's really beautiful. I feel that people sometimes they need the business and they try to help them, but really that's not even legal. And also it's not, they're not helping their client because they need the wisdom and the experience that you guys have. So mm-hmm. that's uh part of it. But if they do want to do something, just, you know, 
finding ways to what did they do at a place where they needed courage? What, you know, to remember their past, to remember the experiences that made them stronger, that made them establish courage or things that they did out of service. Because sometimes when we reconnect with things that we remember made us happy, it's like, what were you doing? What did you, what was so impactful of that, that you would want to do it again? So just having sometimes we forget, right? We think, oh, I, I don't have anything to give. Wait a minute, right? Can we challenge that? Are you a mom? Are you kidding me? Haven't, haven't you impacted your kids or just the the jobs you've had? And mm-hmm. and I get it. Some people have jobs because they have to pay their stuff. But what if we could love what we do? Yeah. Right? How your cool clients are lucky to have you. That's so great. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, also <laughs> finding things that they um, are good at. So people think, oh, but anybody could do that. Are you kidding me right now? I mean, some people do things so excellently that you wonder how do they even do that? But they have done it always. So for them, it's normal. So tapping into that, you know, people could pay you to do this because you're amazing. Right. Right. And, and really, so you help people find their gifts to, to become yes. aware of them and to really see them and take and also walk level. the journey of self-confidence, you know, self, self-awareness and, and just that self-esteem, which is sometimes it doesn't look like that they have a low self-esteem, but they might live in a beautiful home, in a beautiful home, but do they live in a beautiful life? Yeah. Was it meaningful? Are they excited about getting up every day? And not everybody's that vulnerable because see a lot of people like, oh, but you have everything to be happy. Yes, but I am miserable inside because I'm not doing something that fulfills me. Right. So, but they have too much shame to say that or too much yes. guilt and then you don't get the help. And yet you're such a great example, Veronica, of living a, a confident life, You know, taking your self-confidence to mm-hmm. that next step so that you can share with others. And so you can be like your full self and mm-hmm. show the messy sides and show the pretty sides, oh, like boy. the whole thing. <laughs> I wish I could have skipped them, but how are we going to learn? Right. I think right. most of the challenges, the rocks per se in our life or in my life, at least I've looked back and said, wow, they were actually the stepping stones that got me to where I am today. Mm-hmm. And the challenges you know, strengthen me to who I have become. So there's no shame in our story. And we're always at where we need to be. We don't compare, we don't compete against others. We compete about, you know, with our version of two years ago, uh, 10 years ago, yesterday. So that's right. I don't know. That's right. And I think that's a great place for us to mention all of the ways people can connect with you because this is so important. And before we, well, first off, everybody can find Veronica on her website, which has the best name, www.coachingextraordinarywomen.com. That's great. (laughs) I chose that name because I wish everybody could find their extraordinary. Everybody's extraordinary, at least in one way. And people are like, oh, I don't feel extraordinary. Excuse me? I have lost a lot of people. I can assure you that your life has no refill. After mm. you're gone, there's never going to be anybody like you. Oh my gosh. There's another gem right there. Your life has no refill. And Veronica, it's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you. Yeah. Yeah. So you, 
I really want to acknowledge you and thank you for coming on my podcast and sharing with our listeners your journey, the amazing honesty and depth of pain and evolve how you've evolved and helped others and how you continue to help others through the pure recovery work and as a life coach and coming on to podcasts and shows and talking about your journey and just being you and sharing your gift of extraordinary with us. It's, it's so incredibly precious. And I feel like I've made a friend in you and we're only Aww. just meeting today, but it's very special. Yeah, absolutely. I also want you to tell us about your books and explain to everyone because they're not there. Your name for the author of the book is different than the name that we have for you on this show. <laughs> I can explain. I had okay. two teenage boys when I decided to write my book and they were not happy when I told them that I was going to write my book. So I thought, well, boys, I'll have a pen name. Amazing. This is not about me. Mm-hmm. And I will not mention your names. I actually talk about my sons and or my youngest son. Daddy will have another name. You know, it yeah. was about inspiring other people. I wrote the book that I would have wanted to read when I was struggling. Beautiful. And it's probably brutally honest at times. I mm-hmm. wish I wouldn't have complained so much, but I didn't want it to feel fakey. Like, oh, I did my treatment and this is what I did. No, it's gritty. Mm-hmm. It's honest. It's vulnerable. And... If you feel it's too much, you could start reading it from the back to the front. No, I'm kidding. But yeah, there's nothing fake about you. I love that it's gritty and real and honest. So we have life is worth getting better, honoring your recovery. And then also, please tell me in Spanish. Oh, tu vida merece que te mejores. It's the same life is worth getting better, but was as close as that can humanly yeah. be that's the Spanish translated one. by yourself yes. yeah it's amazing yes. wonderful wonderful thank you yeah and so we'll link to everything in the show notes and again thank you so much for coming no, today you're welcome I want to tell your audience one thing okay I want to tell them that if, if they feel inspired to tell their patients that they can get better that they can show up, do the work, take care of themselves, that they don't need to stay where they are, that they have their whole life ahead of them and that they can do something amazing. And that life is really a gift, even if it doesn't always come with a bow. It's difficult, but that things happen and makes us stronger so that we can help others and inspire others. So If I would have quit on myself, Lisa Nichols, I love her. She says, winners never quit and quitters never win. And I love that. Ah, that's beautiful. Yes. Thank you, Veronica, for sharing. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Cindy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And wish you all the best and look forward to reading your blogs on your website and all of the wonderful things that you have to offer. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks. I hope your heart is as full as mine is after hearing Veronica's story. What a lovely experience to get to meet Veronica and experience her energy and the wisdom that she had to share from her very own struggles and then successes. And what I really want to highlight from 
this episode today is kind of that underneath service behind the story, looking at it from both the service of the providers and the professionals and the people who helped her and also friends along the way and what they did to encourage her. Something as simple as a therapist giving her homework assignments, which were actually success work, as she put it, to ensure that she would have that accountability and find that integrity and belief in her own self-worth. And things like her friend saying to her, even though she was actually dying herself, that you have so much to give and you have so much of life to share with others and ways that you have a gift to give and encourage the world. And when we as therapists can also think about our responsibility to our clients of encouraging them, that's when Veronica's last words to us in this podcast really, really matter and come into play. And I just want to remind you of them. You know, she said, it's important for us to tell our clients that they can get better that they can show up and do the work. And that's really important for us to be able to give them this message of hope, of meeting them in their future dreams of who they could be and and that we see that it's possible for them. And sometimes we get caught up, I think, as therapists or even as friends in our own life of trying to make it better or trying to fix an immediate problem and helping somebody realize that they can do it, that they don't have to stay where they are, as Veronica says, that the whole one's whole life is ahead of you and you can do something amazing. And with that encouragement, I want that for all of you, for all of you, my dear listeners, to realize that also your life is a gift and we have our own dark experiences. We need help ourselves too. So please remember that These things will make us stronger and we can help others and inspire others. And if you need that help too for yourself, don't be afraid to reach out because that's the other message in this podcast that mental health does not discriminate. I love how Veronica said, normal is a drier setting. And so we are all in this together. I hope you love this episode. Send me a message on Facebook or Instagram, heart-centered therapist. And until next week, stay heart-centered. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, I invite you to subscribe and leave a rating or review. It really helps other people find this podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the links and resources mentioned. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.